you know, throwing shit out there. And occasionally something like this will blow up. And I promise you, I had no less than a hundred people call me a soft bitch on the internet for, for, for even asking the question of like, what the hell? Yo, 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 this is uh, the committee podcast, uh, the dangerous duo in effect, uh, Shout out to the uh, two members that are out this week. Uh, safe travels to both. Um, you shall be missed. Uh, I am Adolphus Coleman or Savage. With me here is uh, Marcus Sniffles. How are you doing tonight? The Dangerous Duo has a oddly nice ring to it. But, you know, I'm hanging in there. All right, now, for this week, we're going to start out couple updates about TI. If you've been keeping track on the, of, of us and as well as TI, um, there's been a hymen hysteria going on across the nation. So we're going to touch on that, uh, no pun intended, just a little bit. So give us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we're already starting off already. <laughs> Sorry about that. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the uh, red table? Red talk table. Yeah, so I, I watched the uh, red table talk. It's uh it's essentially it's like an interview uh show by Jada Pinkett Smith and Willow Smith is on there and Jada's mom is on there. Uh occasionally Will Smith is on there and they usually bring people on to, to discuss things and it's it's a pretty open, you know, forum for a good conversation and you know, enlightenment and stuff like that. I mean if you've seen Will Smith's Instagram, you kind of can get an idea of what the uh, Red Table Talk is about. So um, after all the the hoopla blew up about what T.I. said on that podcast about his daughter, he kind of went silent. And uh, I guess the news broke a a little few days later that he was going to go to the Red Table Talk. And I mean, at this point, going to the Red Table Talk is like going to Oprah. Like if you need your image fixed or you need your uh, uh, image rehab, you know, you call up Olivia Pope and she gets you into to the red table. Um, I kind of feel like the fix was in the moment it started because, for one, once this was announced, I was like, okay, I do I really want to hear from T.I. at this point? Like, I feel like he's talked enough, like he's done enough and he's spoken enough on uh, something that he shouldn't really be speaking about. So I don't know if it's quote unquote right for him to continue to speak on something that really has nothing to do with him. And, uh, when he got to the, uh, to the, cause they, they do the red table talk at the Smith's house. So Will Smith was there and he kind of greeted T.I. And then Tiny was there also, she showed up and uh, Will Smith wasn't there for the whole thing. He just came to, you know, say what's up and then he left. And then once they got to the actual table, it was T.I., Tiny, Jada, Jada's mom, and Willow was not there. And that was another red flag for me because it's like, all right, who would be able to relate to this situation more out of all four of these people than Willow Smith? Willow Smith is a, I'm, I'm, I know she's over 18, but she's a young woman mm-hmm. who, has fa- who has a famous father and she grew up in the spotlight. So why would she not be there? And the only thing that I can and can think of is just like, you know, 
And I, ho I, I hope that she was just busy or she had something else going on. But Jada, Jada is friends with T.I. So Jada's not going to go super hard on what, what T.I. said and what he did. Oh, and, yeah. and I feel like Willow would have been kind of the opposite because Willow, you know, she probably knows T.I. They're probably, you know, she's been around them. It's like a family friend, but that's not T.I. and Willow Smith aren't friends. You know what I'm saying? So I would have preferred to uh, hear from T.I.'s daughter on how she felt about the situation, how things really were, because at this point, we're only hearing T.I. side of things. And for the most part, we don't know what's true or not at this point, because when he had initially talked about uh, going to his daughter's doctor's visits, he didn't say anything about uh, Tiny being there or anybody else or any other woman being there. He didn't specify that, but now he comes to the red table and all of a sudden, well, Tiny's there. I'm not in the procedure room. What I said is was being taken too literally. And it just seemed like he, he didn't really go there to, I don't know if he, he, it just didn't come off right to me. I guess just continuing to hear T.I. talk about his daughter like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, granted, he went there to apologize and kind of clear up the air and uh, do the right thing as a father, but I feel like he's talked enough about this. Like, why is he still, why is he still the one, why is he the face of this? Why is he in the forefront still continue, continually to talk about this? So I guess that was my, my big thing from it. But I know that um, in, well, a, I guess a quote unquote good thing that has come from T.I.'s, you know, sticking his foot in his mouth is that uh, the uh, New York lawmakers, they're seeking to ban doctors from performing virginity checks. And th this isn't, it's not like, you know, the bill hasn't passed. They're just trying to say like, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. This is not something that, you know, medically needs to be done. Uh, it's invasive. It's, I don't want to say it's inappropriate, but it's something that doesn't give anyone any, like, medical value. There's no reason to check someone's hymen or to check their version. Obviously, if, they, if the woman wants to have that procedure done, then they can do that, but it's, I guess that's the only, you know, quote unquote, good thing to come out of this. Now, obviously, if, if this was, you know, it's, it's a thing where T.I. kind of put this conversation on, on Front Street, like ev literally every media outlet, you know, newspaper, magazine, podcast, TV show talked about this situation. And so many people talked about it that lawmakers decided to say like, hey, this is something that shouldn't be happening in our in, in the medical field. So let's see if we can try to change this. And at the end of the day, there is some positive to come out of this. And hopefully, you know, TI has somewhat learned a lesson here. And, you know, hopefully this, this bill gets passed, uh, knowing how America is and how America feels about women. I'm, I don't feel too great about it, but, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Definitely. I agree with you on that. Um, we are going to have to wait and see. I did see that. And I, I kind of, for me, it's kind of hard to speak on the issue because I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason 
for women to get this hymen checked? Is this a part of a, a larger thing? I'm just not sure. I, I guess if we just break it down to just what we've heard, I mean, if it's just a virginity check, then yeah, realistically, it shouldn't be anyone's business other than the person that has, that no longer has or currently has uh, their virginity and their hymen intact. So um, definitely if this is, if TI is the uh, person that needed to, you know, be sacrificed or the sacrificial lamb in order to spearhead uh, this type of, of thing, then I'm all for it. As far as TI is concerned, I just kind of feel like what I would have wanted to see with the Smiths and the Harrises would have been more so of the daughter Deja there with Willow there to kind of get a little bit of insight as to what the hell is going on. Because I kind of just feel like with the way that they did it, it was probably one of those situations which I've had before, you know, hey, ring, 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 um, Jada, I fucked up. I'm going to give you a list of questions to ask me. We're going to kind of clear this up on your show. Hey, I, I may even shoot you guys, you know, five figures to do this and just help me out or something like that. Like, is she really going to just go all out in and attack them? Probably not. Um, is he going to say anything that's got groundbreaking? No. Did Tiny offer any input at all? Do you know? Not, not in my opinion. Like, there's literally the only reason she was there to just to show like, oh well, well she was there too, so it's not just on me type of deal. It's just kind of like you know, Ti is the one that went out and publicly said these things, so he should be the one that. If someone needs to talk about this, it should be him going on this like apology tour, like. You don't need to drag Tiny into this, too. Like, no one was talking about her. You didn't bring her up during this thing. So I, I just didn't feel the need for, for her to be there. Yep. Just wanted to show, hey, we're united in the forefront and yada, yada, yada. I'm rolling my eyes. But yeah, um, I mean, There was yeah. a thing where, like, Jada's mom kind of pressed him on some, some of the things as far as, like, you know, he was saying, like, I need to protect my daughter and protect her innocence and and that whole the whole you know cliche thing and uh jada's mom was like well what about your sons you have to do you protect your son's virginity the same way do you do are they viewed innocently in the in the same type of way and ti kind of like laughed it off and tried to and they there was some editing in this you could definitely tell like <laughs> certain things were said and they edited some of the stuff out so you know the jada's mom tried you know they did the best that they could to kind of like I feel like that is the lesson that T.I. doesn't understand is the idea of like you trying to keep your daughter's virginity intact while letting your sons who are younger go out and have sex is problematic. Like you, you can't say one thing and then allow another. And it just didn't seem like he learned that lesson, even though, you know, Jada's mom tried to press him on that. And there was a, another thing T.I. said that was kind of like, kind of made me roll my eyes where he was just like, you know, if uh, if my daughter goes out and gets pregnant, my household changes that day. Like, you know, you have a pregnant girl, a pre your daughter's in your house living with you and they're pregnant. And he was saying like, if my son gets a girl pregnant, nothing changes in my house for nine months. And, and when you hear something like that, it's almost like, so you'd have, you, you and your sons have like no involvement in the 
pregnancy like it and if we want to make it you know a more of a micro level if ti's son gets a girl pregnant in that situation i would think that the girl would come stay with ti considering that considering ti is the wealthiest person the wealthier parent in that situation i would i would assume so i would assume out of all of the people that you know ti's son has access to their dads or parents aren't multi-millionaires like ti is so you would think that they would be a little bit more involved that was i i kind of understand what he was trying to say but, but again it's just ti using big words trying to sound smarter than he is and continuously putting his foot in his mouth and it's just like all right ti we like this is why i didn't want to hear from you because you keep saying dumb stuff like expeditiously yes yeah, it's, it's it's ridiculous so like at the end of the day you know there might be some sort of legislation passed in new york to kind of help prevent these types of checks you know in the future so hopefully ti can just like you know wait it out for another week and then come back out and you know promote whatever it is that he's promoting these days and and keep his i'm not going to say that because that would sound weird but not talk about his daughter's private parts in public i'm gonna be honest with you since this has happened and i mean i'm a huge ti fan always has been have been but like it's been a couple times where i'll see his songs come up on the playlist i'll just skip right by it because i don't even want to hear him now like and it's nothing where i like vowed to cancel ti or anything like that but i'm kind of disgusted by his actions like i'm just like i don't want to hear your shit because you're being very contradictory. I mean, you have songs, and I know we've discussed these, but you have very vulgar songs uh, saying all types of wild stuff about wild endeavors with wild women. And it's almost like you encourage this good old boy style behavior from your sons, but then you want to keep your daughter under lock and key. It just doesn't make sense. And I mean... It's something that I understand it, but we have to get beyond treating our women like this, like it's the 1940s, like it's the 1800s. And in fact, this is a perfect segue over to, you know, speaking of women, woman of the decade per year, billboard. I'm going to let you go ahead and go uh, line by line and um, kind of just tell you, uh, tell us your thoughts. Cause I'm just shocked at the lack of black women, but yeah. So uh, billboard came out with uh, every year. There's a woman of the year. And for this decade, starting in 2010, it was Fergie 2011. It was Taylor Swift 2012, Katy Perry, 2013 pink, 2014, Taylor Swift again. 2015, Lady Gaga. 2000, or excuse me, I said 2015, Lady Gaga. 2016, Madonna. In 2016, Madonna. Uh, 2017, Selena Gomez. 2018, Ariana Grande. 2019, Billie Eilish. And wow, Billboard just wow like <laughs> the most offensive uh name on this list has to be madonna like what what has madonna done 
First of all, have you seen her ass job? No, thank you. No, <laughs> no thank you. I will not be checking that out. It, it's it's probably for the amount of money that she makes, it's the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, I would what? say like there's there's nobody there's no way people are checking for Madonna like that in 2016. I I think that was the year that she did the Super Bowl, but. Come on, guys. Like, no one's peeping for new Madonna music. No one's getting up for Madonna. Madonna's, like, in her 50s, and she's not popping. She hasn't been popping since 1992 or whatever. And even then, when you look at it, the year that they gave her that award, 2016, that was the same year that Rihanna dropped Anti, which was arguably her best album to date. And that was also the year that Lemonade came out by Beyonce. So you're not going to tell me that Madonna had more of an impact on music as a woman than Beyonce and Rihanna did in that same exact year. Like there's no way Billboard is that colorblind or the that deaf because it, it doesn't make any sense. Like you cannot talk about from 2010 to 2019 when discussing music by women and not mention Beyonce or Rihanna. It's not possible to do that when we consider impact, album sales, awards, uh, actual like talent wise, lyricism, production, all the things that come with it. To leave those two women off of that list is offensive. Honestly, it's it's ridiculous. It's just it's patently patently absurd to not acknowledge what Beyonce has done or what Rihanna has done and. Artists like Beyonce and Rihanna continue to get ignored by, you know, the mainstream uh, music critics or mainstream music media and all this stuff. And a lot of people pointed that out. Like, it, it wasn't a thing where people, you know, looked at this list and were like, oh, this list is fine. Like, a lot of people were like, hey, are you so Beyonce didn't exist this whole entire decade? Rihanna didn't put out any music this decade? Shit, another person they, they probably could have put on this list, Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Nicki Minaj, was, her first album came out in 2010. So to say that within, from the time Nicki Minaj, because she started this decade, she put out four projects. She's been the top female rapper since 2010. So to admit her also is also another spit in the face. Where it's like, okay, so Billboard's just like, all right, well, it, we're just not going to, we're just going to ignore that. We're not going to put any woman of color on this list outside of Selena Gomez, which, okay. Uh, also, I mean, we can kind of include Cardi B as well from 2017 to 2019. You can't tell me she wasn't the hottest overall act in the world in 2018. Yep. Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, the list, I mean, we, we talk about these things and, and I hate to blow my dog whistle on some shit or, you know, Wolf if it's racist is one of the Twitter handles. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, this is ridiculous. Beyonce's one of the biggest artists of all time. She's not a woman of the year at all in almost 10 years. Uh, Rihanna, another huge artist. You know, all types of awards, all types of accolades, uh, a, a real music mogul, a uh, fashion icon, makeup, makeup icon. 
She's not a woman of the year. Like it's freaking ridiculous how they treat black people when it comes to these things. It's like, you know, should we have a separate award for niggas of the year or niggers for the year? That's what it seems like. Like nobody black people. We need to have our own awards that don't mean anything because we're just not getting anything. Like even with the most beautiful people, like you never really hear of black people winning those awards. We're just a bunch of baboons and monkeys, I guess. It's just ridiculous. And then the Madonna thing is just so out of control. Madonna looks like a fucking skeleton for crying out loud. <laughs> what was her last hit? Uh, Ray of Sunshine or something? Whatever the hell that song was. It was fucking whack. Who's checking for Madonna? Yeah. And you know, in the 90s, she was ugly. <laughs> Keep it a buck. She's not attractive. But well, people I mean, are, are it, it's, it's mostly. It, it shouldn't even be. It shouldn't even be about the looks. It should be about the music. And even if you just stick to the music, like Madonna's music isn't. It. it whatever Madonna did in 2016, without even listening to that her album, I can guarantee you it was not better than Lemonade, and it was not better than Anti. And I'm willing to, I, you know what, maybe, you know what, I'm going to do it. At some point this week, I'm going to listen to whatever album Madonna put out in 2016. I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to see if it is as good. At, let's see, the name, of, the name of this album is called Rebel Heart. So I'm going to listen to that album. And I'm going to see if it is as good as anti or if it is as good as Lemonade. And you know what? If it is, if it happens to be better than Anti and Lemonade, I will come on this podcast next week and say that I was wrong. I have no problem doing that. I'll come on here and tell, tell you I was wrong. But I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to give Madonna, I'm going to shoot Madonna some bail, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to listen to it, and we're going to see what's up with it. But if it's, if this shit is trash... Ooh, Madonna. Rebel Heart was 2015, so I don't even know if that counts. But well, the, her, the other album that came out came out in like 2019. Um, Madam X. Yeah, so I'm guessing that's the that's the one that they're basing it off of. Like Matt, Madam X came out in 2019, so I'm assuming they're going off of the Rebel Heart one. So I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'll listen to it tomorrow. Well, maybe not tomorrow. Monday. We'll see what's up. Her album, Black of Prayer, 38th anniversary this year as well, by the way. And I guess she has, uh, she's reaching for attention, uh, using the, the the black people to definitely get her back on. But I see she has uh, some song with Sway Lee called Crave. It uh, looks like she's on a Quavo song as well. So we, we know what you're doing, Madonna. We know yeah. what you're doing. This is something that um, black people and especially black women have to deal with. Cause I, I remember, I, don't, I can't remember what age I was when I kind of, when this kind of hit me, but I remember looking, you know, you'd see the maximum top, you know, 100 list and, or men's health top 100 hottest women of the year. And you'd always look at it and you'd get to like number 25 and up and every woman looked the same. I was just like, so you mean to tell me that Nia Long doesn't belong on this list? Like she's never made any of those lists. Like Sanaa Lathan doesn't get on these lists, and it's always 
for for the longest time, the only black woman that made those lists was like Halle Berry and Tyra Banks. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's just like everybody everybody wants you know to work with you know the Quavos and the trans Chancellor rappers and make trap music and rap hip hop type music and everybody wants to have you know full lips and you know thick thighs and a big ass, but we don't want to acknowledge that black women are in the forefront of these things and that black people are in the forefront of these types of music. And we just kind of, well, not we, but the main mainstream magazines like billboard just tend to ignore that and look past that and just say, well, who's, who's the white artist that's doing something close to that. And let's give it to them. Who's the white woman that has those characteristics of black women. That's not black that we can post on this magazine cover. And it's, it's just racism to be at the end of the day. It's just good old fashioned racism. It sure is. And it's a damn shame. But anyway, going on to the next subject. Uh, this is just the all Marcus episode today. <laughs> so <laughs> your uh, thoughts on uh, there was something going on uh, with football. It looks like, uh, I don't know if that's Tennessee's head coach, uh, Pruitt, that's doing this act, or is it like an assistant coach? But yeah, I have I have no idea who this coach is, but uh, I saw this video of a Tennessee coach. He's kind of like he puts he grabs uh, a player by the collar and kind of pulls him, you know, away from the bench to talk to him. And I asked the question. I was like, "Am I a soft millennial for thinking the coach is wrong and needs to keep his hands to himself?" And honestly, with this tweet, like, there's there's I, I, I tweet a lot. I, there's a, I put out a million tweets a day just, you know, throwing shit out there. And occasionally something like this will blow up. And I promise you, I had no less than 100 people call me a soft bitch on the Internet for, for, for even asking the question of, like, what the hell? Should, should the coach keep his hands to himself? Like, you know, and it's just like, well, well, that's how you toughen up these players. These players are soft anyway these days. And. Back in my day, my coach would grab me by my face mask and drag me around. And, you know, like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, I always got these, I got a bunch of people ask me, well, well, did you play sports at all? You must not have played sports. I'm like, I played sports from kindergarten all the way to high school. I played, you know, intramural sports as an adult. Like, I played football in middle school and high school. Like, I understand the culture of football. I, I know, I know that people get passionate and there's yelling and people cursing and, Occasionally, people will grab you by your chest or your shirt, your face mask, hit you over the head. Like, I get that. I've had that stuff done to me. So I know what it is to be on the football field, to be dealt, to, to face that type of, you know, uh, I don't want to say like punishment, but to face that kind of like coaching, like tough coaching. I've dealt with that. So it's not a thing where I didn't know how to handle it. And it's not a thing where, I've never played football, so this is just like out of the ordinary for me. Like I've I've seen this stuff before, I've dealt with this stuff before. So it was just a question. Like honestly, I wish I would have like, you know, added uh, Charmin on this because a lot of people called me soft like Charmin. So that was a, a a marketing misstep on my part. So I'll be sure to do that next time I ask the question. But it's just it's just the when you look at it. The college coaches and coaches in general are in a position of power and in a position of privilege to where they feel like they can do certain things and the player has no 
recourse, no way to respond to that. Like if, if say the coach grabs that player like that and the player pushes his hand away and pushes the coach to be like, don't touch me like that. How do you think that is received by the media? How is that player then received by other coaches in the NFL or at the bad attitude, uncoachable? Yep. Yeah. So and and take it even a step further because the coach's doc, the coach's job is to be a leader, to be an example, and to to have some sort of composure because they are the adult in that situation. Now we've seen plenty of times where coaches lose their minds and get, you know, personal foul penalties called to them for running on the field and screaming at refs and all that stuff. What happens if a player, like if a coach runs on the field and gets a penalty, what if a, a player drags that head coach by his collar and starts yelling at him? How do we view that player now? We're not viewing them the same way as the coach. And it just kind of, it's it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I know that these players aren't getting paid to be treated like this. They're working, they're essentially working all day to make these coaches money. Like we've we've talked about this ad nauseum when it comes to, you know, paying the players and how much these players have to go through for free. You know what I'm saying? So just seeing that video for all the people who are just like that's part of the game, if you're if you tell me that as a coach you cannot get through to your players and teach them and guide them without touching them, I'm going to call you a bad coach. And that's that's what you're not good at your job. The only way you can coach up your players and get them to do the things that you're teaching them is to grab them and grab them by the face mask and grab them by their jersey. You're probably not a good coach anyway. So you should probably find something else to do. So definitely shout out to uh, coaches like a Bob Knight. I don't know if, I mean, some of our viewers may be too young to kind of remember that. Yeah, they don't know that guy. <laughs> but, I mean, he used to, he would choke players. He'd get in physical altercations with players. I mean, he's generally regarded as one of the best coaches of all time. But as we went into the new millennium, that shit got really old. Like, you're not going to put your hands on me. Or you'll end up like PJ Carlissimo and Latrell Sprewell. Uh, shout out to all the original Golden State Warrior fans that would know about the situation. But that type of stuff actually happens because from a at a pro level, you don't see that type of behavior going on. Like you don't see with the other coaches grabbing them by their stuff. Like, no, you get your goddamn hands off me before I kick your ass, okay? Well, it's, and because, like, it's because the, the the pro players have they have privilege also because there's not like you're not gonna see a head coach grabbing on Odell Beckham like that because Odell Beckham makes more money than the coach. Oh yeah, and he's, and, the, and Odell Beckham is better at what he does than probably any coach outside of Bill Belichick that grabs him. Like he's better at his job than any other NFL head coach. And you have the M- NFLPA that's gonna protect him and. You know, protect the different things that go on with the uh, the players and things like that. I've just always like I, I remember seeing stuff like that because um, I did play a lot of different sports: uh, basketball, football, baseball, soccer, you name it. I kind of, oh, and tennis. And it like it was really prevalent in basketball and football, especially football. But you would just see, and I'm talking about these would be freshmen or sophomores. And coaches would just talk to them like they weren't shit. 
But there'd be a select few niggas that you bet your bottom dollar that coach ain't going to act all crazy with because they know damn well they'll be to put some hands on your old ass. I remember being at Orange Park High School uh, where I went to high school, and, like, there would be players that, like, there was a coach there, and God rest his soul. He was a cool guy, but, you know, he'll call people whistling, whistle dicks, and say all kind of derogatory things. I've seen him elbow players, and these are kids. He's an old-ass man. I've seen him boot players in the ass with no butt pads. That That's actually abuse, soft or no, or no soft. And it's like a lot of times people get away with some of that stuff because they'll feel like, okay, like in this scenario, and I hate to go with the black and white thing, but they'll look at it and they'll say, oh, well, you know, he, he's a black kid. There's probably no father at home. This is a father figure, and he's just giving him tough love. No, you could have got your point across without putting your hands on me and scrounging up my jersey like we're going to fight. I remember a few years ago, Will Muschamp was the coach of the Gators. And myself and a few of my friends, we had, like, really good tickets, like, to where we were, like, on the sideline. And, like, a kicker missed a kick. And it's like the special team coach, he was so red and he's as he's going off on this guy, getting physical with this guy as well, pushing on him, grabbing him by his face mask. All this goes by. It's about like five, a five-minute tirade. Will Muschamp comes over and does the same thing. I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is not a good style of coaching. Like, people don't do this anymore. Like, this style of coaching does not work. I, I don't know why we're still so susceptible to that or why people feel like, hey, because, and it's the same thing with the discipline thing that we have uh, when we talk to our viewers or listen to our viewers or even yourself, Marcus, as a person with kids, and you'll hear people, oh, well, you know, I got a whooping, so my kids are getting whooping. You know what? If you were forced to jump off a bridge, you don't have to make your kids jump off the same damn bridge. Like that's not how you justify what's right, what's right or wrong. Like, I, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I'll never understand it, honestly. But yeah, if I was a, a person there, I don't give a damn if it was a Tennessee coach. If that was my son and you're the coach and you make $4 million a year, you bet your damn bottom dollar. I'm going to go in that office after the game. I'm saying, Hey, you know what? If you do that again, I'm going to kick your ass, like, just straight up. And didn't that same thing happen? Who was that at, Um, was it USC or was it UCLA? But I remember there was a famous dad that had got into it with a coach there and was like, yeah. well, I forgot who it was. Was it, was it, it was UCLA? UCLA. Who, it was, who like, was it that it happened? It was like, uh, you're either talking about, like, the, uh, the broadcaster. There was, like, a broadcaster's kid who played at UCLA who got, like, like thrown in a closet or something, closet or something like that. And then didn't like Diddy like attack a coach or something like that for messing with his son at USC? Like, there's certain parents that aren't here for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it was something like that at one of those two schools where was the dad school? threatened them with a dumbbell or something. Yeah, that was that was USC. That was Diddy at USC. Like he. Oh, Diddy. Okay, I, I knew it was somebody. Yeah, but there was also a thing at. Uh, UCLA where like a famous sports announcer his son got mistreated and he like you know went down there and had some words with a coach so like if you're going to coach my kids coach my kid if you're going to coach my kid hard 
then coach him hard. If you're going to yell and cuss at him, I get that. It's part of the game. Keep your hands to yourself, though. It's that simple. It's that simple. Because, like you said, they don't do that in the pros. They don't. They don't treat their players like that. Because the coaches are good. They're good at their job. They know how to motivate these guys. And, you know, the guys are professionals and they know how to motivate themselves. So it's just like, if you can't coach up a college kid or a high school kid without putting your hands on them, you're probably not that good of a coach. You should probably do something else. But, I mean, at this point, people don't really, they don't view these players as people. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not viewed as like an actual person. They're just a number with the team jersey on there and, you know, someone that they put on their fantasy team or, you know, that they bet money on. And I saw another article about the uh, an Eagles lineman, Brandon Brooks. Now, when we talk about, you know, you know, the idea of football players being soft and, you know, millennials and you know, crying and whatever. There's, there's certain things that you could do as a player that if it were to keep you out of the game, people are going to call you soft for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember, uh, who was it? Like, if you have a migraine and you can't play, people would call you soft. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you had a sprained ankle and you couldn't play, people would call you soft. And this was more so back in like the nineties and it's kinda it's kinda toned down a little bit now, but it's it's uh, it's getting a little better. And one thing that I saw that was pretty interesting to me was that this this uh lineman from Philly, he had he had an anxiety attack. Like he couldn't play in the game. And this was last week, and this was a game that like Philly needed. Like Philly needs to win as many games as they can to get to the playoffs and he was unable to play because he had an anxiety attack. He had a setback with it and he got on Twitter and, and tweeted something about it. He wrote, uh, I'd like to address what happened yesterday. I woke up and did my typical routine of morning vomiting. It didn't go away like it normally does, but I figured it would calm down once I got to the stadium it did, but I felt exhausted. The nausea came back, and I tried to battle through it and went out for the first drive. The nausea, the nausea and vomiting came back until I left the field, and I tried everything I could to get back for my teammates, but just wasn't able to. Make no mistake, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed by this, nor what I go through daily. I've had this under control for a couple of years and had a setback yesterday. The only thing I'm upset about is that when my team needed me, I wasn't able to be there for them or be there with and for them. Lastly, I appreciate the support of my coaches, teammates, and fans. It doesn't go unnoticed. Now, I didn't look at the actual tweet on Twitter because I know how people can be on the internet, and I also know how Philly fans can be. Like, Philly fans are probably one of the worst fans. They're up there with, like, Boston, Cleveland, and – for him to say that, to say this stuff is pretty brave, especially in 2019 where, you know, you have people like, you know, Summer Walker getting crushed for having social anxiety and uh, just millennials in general needing to take a day off because they're stressed out or, you know, people being uh, introverts and they just feel like they can't leave the house anymore. 
for this big, bad football player who's really good at his job to come out publicly and say, like, hey, I have anxiety and it got so bad that I couldn't play the game that I get paid millions of dollars to do is pretty brave. And, like, the the biggest thing that I noticed about this this tweet was the very first sentence where he says, I woke up and did my typical routine of morning vomiting. Like what we like we really don't understand what it takes to be a football player or what goes into going into the NFL because if there was anything that I had to do that involves me throwing up every morning, I'm not doing it. And I don't care what it is and I don't care how much you pay me. Because I'm someone who I hate I hate throwing up. Like that's that's why I don't really drink a lot. Because just the action of throwing up, I hate I hate it. I hate going through that. This guy does it every morning just so he can go out there and play football. And that's and that's normal to him. That's part of his routine. That's just something like, oh, I just have this is something I have to do if I'm gonna play this game. And I don't know, man. It's just it's just weird. Like I, I think of that, I think of moments like this where people talk about like I have to I vomit every day or on Monday and Tuesdays, I can't get out of bed without help or on, you know, on certain days I can't walk or you see pictures of, you know, bruises and injuries and, you know, us regular, regular people, not NFL players, non-professional athletes. We're so quick to get online on Twitter and call these guys soft over any little thing. You get a, you get a concussion and you can't play for two weeks soft. Do you not understand what a concussion is? That is a brain injury. Your brain is injured and you're calling these people soft. Torn, you know, torn ACLs, uh, getting a helmet to the knee or you land on your elbow wrong. Soft. You're soft. You're weak. Tough enough. Cortisone shot, which yeah. like we've read on this show, can just make you out of your mind. Just for a freaking sprained ankle, or I even remember when Tony Romo was called soft for the back injuries and some of the other stuff, because people they do feel like okay, you're a, a big time strong athlete, you you shouldn't be affected by these injuries. Um, I was actually surprised that the guy did come out in public and say that about the anxiety attacks. I didn't know how people would take it or how they would feel about it because I mean, I remember, and I'm so sorry because I don't have these names readily available. There was an NBA player that played for the Rockets. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He was a rookie. God damn. What's his name? Yeah, he, he was like a top 15 lottery pick. Anxiety issues, social issues ruined his career. The Rockets was like, oh, well, he sucks and blah, 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 blah. He's trash. And, oh, what the hell's wrong with him? You're soft. You're the... And it's just like y'all don't really understand what's going on. Or even like the, the, the Summer Walker thing. Like sometimes I'll see people that are kind of supportive. But then when she cancels in your city, oh, well, she's out with her titties out and her ass is out and this and blah, 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 blah. Okay, just because you have social issues or anxiety issues or suffer through depression, that doesn't mean that you're like a, a hermit crab or something like that. I mean, you still live a life, but these people are battling eternally, internally. And it's like, you know, when, when it's in sports or when you're a man, 
you know, people are just like, hey, you need to suck it up and do what you need to do, you know? Damn all that. And it sucks. Like, even with concussions, you know, we'll hear older stories about guys that'll say, yeah, I knew I had a concussion. I still had to go out there and play. I don't know, Marcus, if you have you ever had a concussion? If I had to think about it, I'm probably sure I have. If I had to guess, okay. just based on the amount of football that I played. Like, I feel like you can't play football and not have a concussion. Oh, yeah. Now, I've had at least five to six concussions. And I remember, like, a, a famous story of me getting in a fight at my school uh, during a practice. And, like, this dude, he kept headbutting me. And finally, I just snapped, and it was no longer football. Like, I was an offensive lineman. He was a defensive lineman. And, like, it was like I I, I do my work on him, and then he headbutted me. And finally, I started taking him down to the ground. I just snapped. And everybody always talks about that. The reason why I acted like that is because he headbutted me so much to where I had a concussion. And I was acting out because of this concussion. A few years ago, really silly story. Um, I moved to a new place here in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. So I had never really experienced snow. I go out. I didn't know what the hell black ice was. I slipped on black ice and hit my head on concrete. And for two weeks straight, I had a headache. Went in, got a CAT scan. You know what? You, you probably have a concussion. And it was the most weird feeling. Like, I, I didn't even feel like I was on this planet. You know, you have a headache. You're vomiting. Uh, you have, like, a real... Sometimes you can have a spacey feeling. Like, it, it was crazy. And I'm like, you know, when I was watching the movie Concussion, and you look at people that have long-term CTE, and it's like... There are people out here that are living with these symptoms on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, you can't focus. You can't concentrate. The pain is unbearable. I mean, if you've had a migraine, you, you add this into the dizzy feeling, and that's what a concussion is. You, you just hollow on the inside. But you'll have people that have never been in the trenches, that have never been knocked out of a game before, that have never been hurt before, They'll say, oh, well, you're a pussy because you don't want to play through a concussion. Like, it's a brain. Your brain is shaken to death like a fucking martini or something. Come on, man. Yeah. I mean, we, we literally only care about our fantasy teams and our teams when our teams win, but we don't care about the individuals. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you got to love everybody. And, like, obviously, these, these players signed up to do this. But if a player is hurt and can't play or something happens to them, I would just say, just take a minute to think about before you get online and you tweet out this player is soft or this player needs to toughen up. Just really consider what happened to that person. You know what I'm saying? Like Google what a torn ACL looks like or what it feels like. You know what I'm saying? And like, especially watching football or even watching basketball when you see, you know, players, you know, take charges or whatnot. Like, just go to your job, go to your job, and just stand up, jump as high as you can, and land on your back, and just see how you feel. 
And not only that, see how everybody in your office reacts to what you did. Because that's literally what football players go through that every play. Like, just the just the, the pain that you feel from falling on the ground is what they go through every day. Like, playing in an NFL game for, like, running backs is like getting in multiple car crashes in one day. And you have to wake up and do it again. And that's why I'm, like, I'm super big on the NFL getting rid of Thursday night games because it's that, – that shit is inhumane. Like, there's – it is not possible for these players to heal up in, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on that fourth day to go back and do it again. It's not physically possible. You're not getting the best product and you're not getting healthy players out there. And you're putting your players at risk for injury by, by making them play on such short notice. It's, I hate it. I'm, I'm so tired of Thursday night football. Like they, they, the only reason you should, play on thursday night is if you're coming off of a bye week if you're coming off of a bye week thursday night fine but people just really need to to do their research on what players go through what it takes to play play the game at the nfl level and what it takes for your body to recover because it's not just you know sunday night you know they're over it by monday morning like Monday is the day where pretty much all the, the drugs and adrenaline and all that stuff is wearing out of their body. Tuesday is the day where it's like they really start to feel it. Now they're starting to feel all those hits, all those carries, all those catches, all those tackles, all those run blocks and pass blocks. And then you get Wednesday to kind of rest, and then you got to go back and do it again on Thursday. Like, all right. To me, if you really look at – I mean, I don't know if some people have ever seen what a cortisone shot, well, what they used to look like with those huge needles. Mm-hmm. Or if you think of submerging your full body in an ice tub or having to be wrapped up like a freaking mummy or being on multiple painkillers to where you're addicted to it or having to smoke marijuana just to ease the pain, just so many different things that they have to go through. Yeah. Think about that before you call them smokes. Like, really? Yeah. It's a lot. And even from a, I like, honestly, I was talking to a friend the other day when, you know, just circling back to the anxiety thing. And I was saying, you know, just a little bit about me. Like, when I was younger, of course, I was a, a rapper. I've been in talent shows, I've danced at talent shows, I've been in theater, drama, done all of that. I'm, I'm a podcaster too. So, I could speak to people like it's nothing. And the first time I ever had an anxiety attack, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, never had it in my life before. Um, You know, you're getting older. You're on different medications for different things, you know, as you get older in age. And I had an anxiety attack. And I remember, like, what was going on was it was going to be my chance to speak in a new classroom in front of new people I didn't know. And I remember I felt my heart beating out of my chest. I couldn't breathe. I was getting lightheaded. You know, the room was just spinning. I I was about to just black out. Like I was like, oh my God, what is going on with me? I can't control myself. And then imagine having those symptoms maxed out and then including drugs in it for painkillers or 
or your head getting scrambled around as an offensive lineman every other play, 50 to 60 snaps per game, and you're going through the rest of this as far as an anxiety or having an anxiety attack and trying to get out there and perform. Like, it's it's just not a good deal. Or even as an artist, I mean, yeah, Summer Walker, you're supposed to be able to perform in front of large venues. But, you know, an anxiety attack, like I said, is something that we just, you never know. And I can only speak of, of experience from my own experiences, but there are all sorts of different complications that result from these different things. Like these people are not soft. Sometimes these people have serious medical conditions, but what I feel like is a lot of the times if people don't see something broken or bleeding or some real suffering, then they just think, Hey, you're young. Everything's okay. You're you're a football player. You're a fireman. You're a police officer. You're in the military. You're a fisherman, long seaman, shoreman. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Damn, I'm <laughs> That's not going to go. Merchant well. seaman, not a long seaman. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I, yeah, because I agree with you on that. You know, like you can't look. Like, you can look at two military guys and you can see, like, all right, well, this one military guy, he's missing his leg. I can see that on that on that guy. I can tell that he went through something. And then I can look at another military member who didn't lose a limb, who has all their arms and legs and fingers and all that stuff, no scars, no nothing. I cannot see their PTSD, though. I can't look at someone and say, that person has PTSD. I can't look at someone and say, that person has a concussion. I can't look at you and say that person has anxiety. I, I can't that. And that's the thing that, that most people need to understand. It's like, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening and it's not happening inside that person. And just because that person has social anxiety, you know, on stage or, you know, with certain fans doesn't mean that that person can't have fun in the privacy of their own home. That doesn't mean that person can't, get on social media or Instagram live and have fun there. You know, like I, I know for me, like I'm more of a, uh, an introvert. Like I'm, I like being by myself. I like being home alone. I like just, I like being at home, but like, you know, when holidays like Thanksgiving come around, I know that I have to, I don't want to say put on a show or put on a, a facade, but I know that I have to be around people. And so I kind of prepare myself to be like, all right, I just got to get through the day. Like, I just have to be, you know, interactive and talk to people and have a good time, you know, with my in-laws, with my cousins, with my parents, with my, you know, cousins, nieces, uncles, aunts, all that stuff. And then, you know, once I get home, I can just kind of turn that off and get back to where I want to be, which is at my house and just being here. You know what I'm saying? Like, and just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean like I can't be on a podcast and uh, doesn't mean that I can't go out in public and talk to people and have a good time and socialize. Like people think introverts are just people that just like, oh, well, they just sit in their bed and look at their phones all day and don't talk to people. And they don't, you know, interact with anybody. That's that's not the case. It's the way I look at it is the way that introverts recharge is being by themselves or being at home like their their center is when they're by themselves or 
at home or where they live at where they can like kind of center themselves and for extroverts they need to be around people to feel comfortable and for introverts it's kind of the opposite so that's that's how i look at it but yeah we just gotta we gotta take mental health seriously all the time not when it's convenient for us shout out to all my long seamans out there um uh, any closing thoughts on it? <laughs> hey man, that that long seam hit deep. I guess I don't know. Uh, nah, just you know, just like I said, just take take this stuff seriously, man. Like you don't know what people are going through, so just don't be don't be so quick to call somebody soft. Hey, I hundred percent agree with that. Um, another thing that I would like to just to wrap things up with the Ti thing. Uh, what we were kind of talking about earlier, uh, you can look in a dictionary, you can learn a bunch of big words, you know, read a little here and there, but those things in life, they still don't make you smart. Like sometimes experiences go through, well, experiences that you go through help you to gain the knowledge to actually become smart. Um, So, I mean, I'm proud of T.I. from coming from where he was, I guess, with the trapping out of bandos and whatever they call it nowadays. Definitely proud of you for growing up. Uh, but on some issues, T.I., you just have to kind of stay in your lane when it comes to things like you're not a woman, I would hope, since you have kids. You're short, but, you know, that helps. You're kind of a woman size. But anyway, Um You've been through a lot of things in life. Touch on the things that you know and don't try to touch on shit you don't know. So with that being said, um, ladies, please protect whatever hymens you have left. I'm not going to diss anybody that we know um, because I've cleaned up my act. As always, I want to give a shout out to SB Reports 706 or however the hell you say his goofy ass name. Y'all know him, Breezy. Um, since we were talking about uh, Tennessee, shout out to uh, El Breezy 904. Uh, you can always catch uh, L, uh, who is the fan favorite, at L Chapa on Twitter. Um, feel free to interact with us, uh, any member of the uh, committee podcast, and um, enjoy this week's episode. We are out. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Ryan McLaughlin from Don't Call This a Podcast, here to thank you for rocking with the thekidswearcrowns.com and our podcast collective. If you're liking what you hear, do us a favor and check out the website, thekidswearcrowns.com. We've got a plethora of content for you articles, TV and movie reviews, playlists, and a collective of podcasts, which includes Don't Call This a Podcast, Sturdy Show Presents the Barbershop Podcast, Two Dope Smarks, The Committee Podcast, Pretty Petty Politics, and We Bring in Love Back. We've also got a brand new webcast called Politics as Usual, hosted by Ron and AJ. So be sure to go to thekidswearcrowns.com, subscribe if you like what you see, and follow us on Twitter at the KWC blog.